welcome to Unbossed. I gotta tell you something, I never tire of that introduction. And I'm hoping that people who will comment today will let me know how you feel about it. Imagine having your own theme music every time you start. Baby, it's a wonderful feeling, I love it every time. And every time I hear it, it's like the first time, so excited. So again, welcome to Unbossed, so glad you are here. And you know who else I'm glad is here, we got Ray Vanna in the house. She is a Rebel HQ contributor and she has her own show. She's the host of Reactions. Ray, it's so good to have you here with us again on Unbossed. It is so wonderful to be here. And I I can't say because I have my own theme music too. It feels good every time. It feels good to have your own walkout music. <laughs> I know, that's right. Everybody, I recommend it for everybody. Make up your own playlist, baby. Just walk into place playing your song or a collection of songs. So today we are going to be talking about the 2 million people in Houston who've been without clean water for two days. Uh, who's to blame? We're gonna talk about that. Now you all know that water is life. I don't know why we keep playing around with this. And when I say we, you know I'm being sarcastic, the collective. You know why government has not done what it needs to do to ensure that everybody in this country has clean water. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, when I start calling on Jesus, this is real. And then how hate crimes against black Americans rose 46% this year. We're talking about it and how the US is failing at preventing or thwarting domestic terrorism and the rail strike. We're gonna continue that story. We're gonna give you an update on what's going on. So let's just go ahead and get into this. Why does it seem like President Biden's focus on the strike is not really worker centered? Hmm. I hope I'm wrong about that, but that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting about this. Let's put up this headline, Congress to take up bill to avert rail strike as Biden and unions clash. And this was happening live. They were updating this in real time because this is serious and they're running at a fevered pace. And they, I mean the Senate Majority Leader and House Speaker, Senate Majority Leader Schumer and our House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They met with President Biden earlier today to discuss pushing this legislation through. And so Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi just emerged. I was earlier today from the White House to talk about their meeting just now with President Joe Biden to talk about legislation in the lame duck session. And most urgently his request that Congress intervene to stop the looming rail strike. This is coming from the Guardian. And again, let me repeat, this was happening in real time earlier today. Biden wants Congress to impose the agreement tentatively reached in September, but which four unions didn't sign on to, forcing the president and the labor unions to be at loggerheads. And rightfully so, they should be at loggerheads because the workers did not get what they were asking for. And guess what, they're not asking for too much. They wanna be able to take time off to go to a doctor or take time off when they're sick. What is wrong with that? Something is wrong with the fact that they gotta beg for this kind of stuff, that's what's wrong. House Leader Pelosi or Speaker Pelosi said the original elements of the agreement on pay, etc. would be included in the bill and some additional benefits agreed to by Biden and Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. Additionally, the speaker said this, the agreement is not everything I would like to see. I would like to see paid sick leave every in leading Democrat and in every country in the world has it. I don't like going against the ability of a union to strike, but 
weighing the equities, we must avoid a strike. Really, speaker? I don't know about that, Ray. I'm I'm really miffed. And then we have leader Schumer weighing in this way. He said, we will try to get it done. We are going to try to solve this ASAP. And then both leaders did warn of job losses. And we know that that will happen. Job losses and further supply chain problems affecting ordinary goods and essential things such as chlorine for safe public water supplies. But let us be clear, the President of the United States is urging Congress to pass a deal that many of the unions involved do not support. So that is why I opened up this segment by saying it seems like the President is more concerned with pushing the union and preventing them from going on strike than he is about solving the problem, the conundrum. What is the, the grievances of the members? of the rail workers and what are they asking for? Thank God there's one senator at least who's saying not so fast because in order for this deal to pass the Senate, you got to have the senators rocking and rolling as well. And it is the one and only Senator Bernard Sanders from the great state of Vermont. Manju Raja put up uh, put up this tweet, let's take a look at it. Asked if he will allow a vote on legislation to avert the rail strike to happen by December 9th deadline. Bernie Sanders just told me, we will have more to say about that later. He criticized the deal for lack of paid sick leave. That is outrageous. And you know what? It is absolutely outrageous, whether it's rail workers, carpenters, janitors. It doesn't matter who the workers are. Every worker in this country should have paid sick leave, paid family leave. They should be able to. Take time off when they need it. It really is about quality of life. And when you take care of your workers, they take care of you. Ray, I am really shaking my head because on one hand they say, "Oh, we kind of get it," but on the other hand, they want Congress to pass legislation to stop these workers from being able to go on strike. Yeah, I think Bernie Sanders has said it perfectly. It is outrageous. Biden positioned himself. As a pro-union candidate, as a pro-union president, he came in with a lot of you know support for the PRO Act, which didn't get passed at a time where there was an unprecedented in modern history surge in unionization efforts. You know, we saw Starbucks, we've seen different manufacturing, we saw union strikes going on and negotiations going on in California for workers in TV media industry. And now he's siding, it seems, with the corporations, with the railroad, with the industries, as opposed to siding with the workers. And it's just disappointing that every single time, every single time, it, you know, politicians weigh in on this, it's always, well, they need to come to an agreement. But it's never that the industries have to capitulate to the demands of the workers. It's always that the workers have to give something up. And in this case, it's just basic human dignity and decency that they're being asked to sacrifice. They're being asked to sacrifice the ability to take time off because they're sick in a pandemic, <laughs> a global pandemic. It's ridiculous and the Democrats are in a good position to stand for the workers and they're failing to do it. And I just can't help but think that it has something to do with the fact that it's the industries that fund their campaign and not the workers that fund their campaigns. Right, you're absolutely right about that. The owner donors seem to win every single time. If they want to avert the strike, then give the workers what they are asking. 
asking for and not the other way around. And to me, they're taking pages out of Jeff Bezos book. You know, how, how they gonna thumb their nose at Jeff Bezos? They doing the same damn thing, it's exactly the same. It's hypocrisy to use your power to crush these workers and to stop them from being able to strike. Yeah, all hell will break loose if they strike. So you need to act like all hell gonna break loose when they strike and give them what they asking for. Cuz they're not asking for too much. Workers have died, they're exhausted. They don't deserve this, they deserve much, much better. And you know what, right? this is another reason why people are disillusioned. They stop trusting institutions and systems because of foolishness and mayhem. To quote one of my friends like this, we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep a close eye on this and all of you should. Let's be in support of our real workers. Houston's potential water crisis, water, 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 always on our mind, yes it is. So two million people in Houston have been without water since yesterday. Reminder, water is life. We know this, I know it's so obvious, but I need to underscore this bold, this underline it, message in the bottle, smoke signals, whatever you gotta do, you need to remember this. You know, there's a saying, you don't miss the water till the well runs dry, but too many wells are running dry across this country because of poison in the water, an infrastructure that does not support people having clean water in the United States of America, WTF all the way. So here's the areas in Houston impacted by the water crisis. We're gonna put this up, this map, you see it? Yeah, many, many people impacted by this. And even if it was five people, same thing applies. But look at this, it is a failure of government. Now schools were closed on Monday and many businesses were shut down for the day. But that doesn't mean that the damage is not already done. The public was advised to bring water to a boil for at least two minutes before using it for drinking, cooking, bathing and brushing teeth. Children, seniors and people with weakened immune systems are particularly vulnerable to harmful bacteria. But all water customers were advised to follow these directions in 2022 in the United States of America. And this is indeed a water emergency. Now it is likely to get fixed. We hope so that it will get fixed, but remember in many areas of this country, people are still without clean water, are a subject very, this is fragile. It could be you, it's Houston now, but it could be you. We must care about this and a lot of this has to do with government mismanagement. So remember that in Jackson, Mississippi, 150,000 residents are without clean water and Jackson experienced a major failure of its water plant after heavy flooding. The failure highlighted longstanding problems with Jackson's water due to a crumbling and neglected infrastructure, including an ailing water plant and aging pipes that city and state leaders have long known about and failed to properly maintain. And this is not about something that happened overnight. This is decade after decade after decade after decade. And then here we are. And why isn't it fixed? Well, we have a few guesses about that. The EPA opened a federal civil civil rights investigation over this crisis affecting a city that is 83% African American. Baby, if you're asking me, does it have anything to do with caste and class? Oh Yeah, very much so. And let us not forget Flint, cuz Flint is the canary in the coal mine where the water was filled with lead. Let's take a look at this headline. We found dozen, dozens of uncounted deaths during the Flint water crisis and here's how. And so we know that the Legionnaires disease outbreak during the water crisis in Flint 
Michigan was one of the largest in US history, sickening at least 90 people and killing 12. People are getting sick, people are dying, and we know what lead does to children over the long haul. It's not just a one and done. If they are impacted by lead poisoning, it can impact them for the rest of their natural lives. This is serious business. And let's put up this graph. Results for the presence of lead and copper are on the rise again in Flint, Michigan. So it is not over for Flint. This is an ongoing horror story, nightmare, what is happening to Flint. And of course, climate change definitely, or climate chaos plays a role in this. Let's take a look at Rutgers today. Soil could be affected by climate change impacting water and food. So now we got one plus one, water and food. See, all of these things go together, they're, they're cyclical, they go together, they fit. You cannot have one crisis without another crisis. So our water, our food, and we might as well just go ahead and throw the air in there too, Ray. They didn't say anything about the air, but that's, that's in the circle of life as well. Ray, your thoughts? Yeah, um, so one one thing this story got me thinking about was I know that I've heard a lot of times that Chicago has some of the most lead pipe usage in the United States still. So I Googled it because there's a little map where you can check to see if your building has lead pipes. And mine does, my entire neighborhood does. And you know, I live in a predominantly non-white neighborhood, a predominantly like low-income neighborhood. But you can see pretty much directly on this map where the rich neighborhoods are, there are no lead pipes. There's no lead pipes. And the further south you go, further west you go, the more and more lead pipe usage there is. And this is a huge problem, but it's not like they haven't known the damage that lead does to the body. I mean, the Clean Air Act of 1970, Included lead. I mean, that was a, a whole. We just you were just mentioning keeping the air clean. That was a whole mission of that act was to get lead out of the ambient air so people weren't inhaling lead. But you know, when you're drinking water that's traveling through lead pipes, you're still ingesting lead. And it, when you sit and think about it, it really just is. It's not profitable to replace these things because what we I mean we have water here provided for free for the city of Chicago residents. So they're not making money by keeping you healthy necessarily. There's no industry that's going to come in and want to do it. And so, so it's it's really sad. But if it was profitable, they would they would give a crap about our lives. But they don't. They can't. There's no money to be made in, in saving lives. So it's just depressing. It's depressing. It really is. And government has one job when it comes to clean water. Just make sure that the water is clean. And we just got notification that the boil ban in Houston has been lifted. So that is indeed a good thing. That still does not mean that this entire saga is over. It just means that the boil ban has been lifted. So let's not shout for joy just yet. We got a water crisis in the United States because infrastructure has not been taken care of over the decades. And the chickens are coming home to roost when it comes to that lack of investment. We will definitely continue to watch what is happening or report on what is happening when it comes to water and lack of clean water. We will be right back after this, don't you go anywhere. Welcome back to the show, my favorite part. I'm glad we do this twice in the show, but here we are, our what our viewers have to say. So our TYT member, Sexy Speed Racer says, Biden siding with railroad corporations over union members. Why am I not shocked? I'm with you, sexy speed racer. I'm not shocked either. Disappointed, but definitely not shocked. 
shocked on Twitch. Sassy says, Nina Turner, you rock socks and give me hope or at least make me feel less crazy for thinking what I do about the world we live in. Oh, thank you, Sassy, I appreciate you. No, you're not crazy, we, we get it, things are happening. We, we understand that and we're gonna stay in tune to that because we care, so thank you. And on YouTube Super Chat, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon says, hello, beautiful Nina. Hello, somebody. Hello, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon, I appreciate you. Hello, somebody, yeah, that's my. That's my call. That's my call to action. Hello, somebody. Ray, I gotta tell you, Ray, even my my little grandbaby. They saying it now too. Hello, somebody trying to oh. get somebody. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be just like you. That's so sweet. Like, yes, you better say hello, somebody. Well, thank <laughs> you all, all of our viewers, our subscribers. Thank you for what you do. You help TYT network. We won't be, we would not be able to do what we do without you. So, baby, we are thanking you, and especially here on Unboss, sending you all kinds of love. Now, you know what we do about this time, and it is to remind you hashtag we are BG. We are BG. We gave you an update yesterday. Hopefully, things are happening to bring her home. But please show your love, send up prayers if you pray positive thoughts, whatever your thing is, as long as it's on the positive, please send it out to the family. We are going to continue to talk about this until Brittany is home. And then lastly, do not forget about our sisters and brothers and family and friends in Jackson, Mississippi. You can go to tyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. And thanks to all of you who've already donated. We really do appreciate you. So domestic terrorism, we talk a lot about terrorism abroad, but we got domestic terrorism right here in the good old United States of America. And it has been that way for a very long time, even though folks do not like to admit it. It is real, especially when it comes to white supremacy, anti-black racism and terrorism. So the US is failing at preventing this domestic terrorism. The United States Senate Committee on Homeland Security published a report on the rising threat of domestic terrorism. Let's take a look at this. This is the front page of that report, the rising threat of ter- of, of domestic terrorism, a review of the federal response to domestic terrorism and the spread of extremist content on social media. Social media can be both a blessing and a curse. It is a blessing when people are are spreading news that people can use, spreading good news in exchange of ideas and opinions. It is dangerous when people are putting out disinformation and misinformation and stirring up all kinds of hate and vitriol. And people are doing all of the above. And so the data in that report is truly alarming. Finding that white supremacist violence is the most, and I quote, persistent and lethal terrorist threat to the US. Let me say that one more time, one more again. Finding that white supremacist violence is the most persistent and lethal threat, terrorist threat to the United States. But the federal government is failing to take these threats seriously. Let's look at some of the data, shall we? 333 right wing extremist related killings in the last 10 years, 73% of those at the hands of white supremacists. This is what the data said, math is math here, to quote my dear friend. Ray, any thoughts about this so far? 
Yeah, um, I'll just say I have a lot of Muslim friends who have been harassed and called terrorists because they wear hijab or because they have brown skin or from the Middle East. Um, and it's so not based in the reality of what terrorism looks like in the United States. I mean, it's blatantly racist, but um, it'd be much more accurate to like go up to a member of the KKK or the Proud Boys and call them terrorists or call Tucker Carlson, <laughs> you know, a terrorist because what they are spreading is actual terrorism. The actions that they partake in is actual terrorism. But instead, you see this Islamophobic like idea of what terrorism is in the United States based. You know, primarily off of uh, you know propaganda campaigns that happened concurrently and after 9/11, and it's just not an accurate. You know, it's not accurate to the data of what terrorism actually looks like in the United States. That's exactly right, and the federal government has continued to focus disproportionately on international terrorism or terrorists instead of focusing in on what is happening right here in the United States of America. We got our own terrorists here. So the report stated that despite this acknowledgement and multiple analysis, plans and national strategies across multiple administrations, this investigation found that the federal government has continued to allocate resources disproportionately aligned to international terrorist threats over domestic terrorist threats. Now this is coming from their own report makes no sense to me, except for the fact maybe they don't care that most of those threats are against black people. Maybe that might be it, hmm, I don't know. Probably the federal government is based on a whole racist premise that does not see black lives in the same way that it sees other lives and is more worried about other countries. Other countries' violence and what Ray just put out there, this, this whole propaganda campaign. Look, terrorists can be in any country, but to simply focus on one type of terrorist over another. Meanwhile, in your own backyard, you got terrorists. That is a problem and it is hypocrisy. So remember just earlier this year, let's put up this headline. Buffalo gunman pleads guilty in racist attack that left 10 dead. The man who shot 13 people at a supermarket in May faced multiple murder, domestic terrorism, and hate crimes. Are we all old enough to remember that? Most of those victims were African American. So the federal data shows a recent spike in assaults, threats, and incidents of bias. This stuff is real, and white supremacy is alive, and black Americans are facing the worst of it. Anti-Semitism is raging as well, but when it comes to anti-blackness, it seems to be a one-way street, and this must end. Kyrie Irving is one great example. He had to take the brunt of some stuff, but meanwhile, people can spew all kinds of anti-black hate and nothing happens to them. Let's put up this headline, Kyrie Irving returns from suspension in his first news conference since his suspension began before a Game against the Memphis Grizzlies, Irving said he doesn't stand for, quote, anyone close to hate speech or anti-Semitism. And he doesn't, but they they run that man through the mud. So I wanna see them same folks who were up in arms, be up in arms about this, what's happening to black folks. Ray, any final thoughts about this? 
Yeah, I think one thing that you highlighted that is really important is that this has happened across multiple administrations. So we've seen this, you know, lack of it. They've highlighted that this is an important thing, but there's a lack of focus, a lack of attention on it, on this white supremacist terror, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. In office, and I can tell you why a Republican wouldn't want <laughs> to focus on that because that's their base; those are their supporters. But when it comes to the Democrats, it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment that they aren't actually using the resources at their disposal to fight this type of white supremacist terror attack, especially against Black people who are the people who help them get into office every single time. Those are the it's Black women organizers who are you know registering people to vote to make sure that they're in office and. And then they turn around and they give them nothing economically. They give them nothing in the ways of protecting them from white supremacist terror. And to what end? What did they lose from standing up against this? I don't know. Maybe the imaginary independent voter who doesn't know where they stand on white supremacy. It's ridiculous. It's BS. It's it's total crap. I'm sorry. It's just it is. They need to use their resources, their positions of power to fight against this because we know there's no way in hell the Republicans are ever going to do it. Yeah, right. And I wish there was some way in hell that they would because everybody should be concerned. You know, this is not about where people lean on the political spectrum. This is about decency. This is about, you know, standing up against wrong. And terrorism in any form is wrong, domestic or international. And the fact that the federal government's own report shows very clearly that white supremacist terrorism is on the rise, but instead they want to keep pointing their thumbs and they noses and all their fingers and toes at people in other countries and not deal with the white supremacist terrorism in this country when it's against anybody. Doesn't matter to me who it is against, you stand up and fight back, beat back terrorism. In this particular case, the report shows overwhelmingly it is against black Americans. So I ask you, the whole BLM movement itself, black lives matter, do they really? United States government and Ray made a very good point. We're not letting anybody off the hook, not the Republicans or the Democrats, but Democrats. Hello, somebody. Quote my grandchildren, hello. Because black folks, men and women, women and men vote overwhelmingly for you, for y'all, and we ain't got a whole lot to show for it. Right? We're gonna we will keep up with this story. We're gonna keep talking about this. Do something, United States government. Get on this quickly. Stop playing games. Here we go, Mike Pence is getting the whitewash treatment. Yes, he is. I sigh, remember this. 2.24 PM, the president tweets Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. It angered me, but I turned to my daughter who was standing nearby and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. We had our differences. And I told him that seeing those people ransacking the Capitol infuriated me. Is the former vice president just getting a clue? Could it be because he tried to sell books? What in the unholy hell is going on here? This is ridiculous and don't even fall for it. People don't fall for it. We are not falling for it and neither is Carlos Lazada of the New York Times. Check out this 
headline. Mike Pence is having a moment he doesn't deserve. Go ahead on Carlos, lay it on out there in your opinion piece. Mike Pence is having a moment he doesn't deserve. And he wanna act like he's so you know, emotionally into this. I turned to my daughter. You should have turned to your daughter when Trump was in the White House doing all kinds of crazy stuff impacting this country. But you didn't have the guts or the intestinal fortitude to do it then. But now, oh my God, you got an epiphany all of a sudden. I do believe it's some damn book sales. Now, when his boss would ask him to carry out some task, and this is coming from Carlos, he laid it down. When his boss asked, would ask him to carry out some task or duty, Pence would look President Trump in the eye, nod and say, I'm here to serve. The phrase reoccurs in Pence, Pence's new memoir, So Help Me God. You know what, former Vice President Pence, God damn sure need to help you. You need some help, brother, you do. Got me off. Messed up right here on this. Let's go ahead and put up the rest of what Carlos had to say. Carlos, you speaking for me today. The book debuted at number two on the New York Times hardcover nonfiction bestseller list. And the Justice Department is now seeking to question Pence in its investigation of Trump's efforts to remain in power after the 2020 election. Clearly, the former Veep is having his moment. And for what? Let's just go keep on keep this going. Pence was indeed in the White House to serve, but he served the president's needs more than those of the nation. Hello, somebody. Most damning, Pence failed to tell the president or the public without hedging or softening the point that the Trump Pence ticket had lost in 2020, in the 2020 election, even after Pence had reached that conclusion himself. It look, you get no credit for coming out now. Man, you didn't have the courage, you didn't have the backbone. You know, I had a boss who used to say, you can't give a man a spine who doesn't have one. And that's a man or a woman. If damn it, if they ain't got no backbone, you can't give it to him. This man don't have no backbone. Trump didn't care if the people came to lynch Pence. He still didn't speak up for himself. Something wrong with this man, so help me God. God damn sure need to help you, brother, he does. So instead of doing any of these things, Carlos goes on. To put this out there, Pence searched for a way to satisfy Trump's order to invalidate the election, meaning that the man did not have what it takes to stand up to President Donald J. Trump. And according to Bob Woodward and Robert Costas Pearl, that is what happened here. Pence asked, fellow Hoosier and former Vice President Dan Quayle, if there was any way he could pause certification. You know what? Yeah, I just, what? Ray, I'm done. I, it's so frustrating to watch him get the, the George W. Bush treatment. Like after George W. Bush, after Trump really became president, George W. Bush suddenly is going on Ellen. He's hanging out with Michelle Obama. People are, you know, he's going on the talk show circuit to sell his books. This is a man who killed over a million Iraqi civilians. Not people just in the military, civilians 
over a million of them dead because of this man. And he gets to go rehabilitate his image. And you know what, right now Mike Pence is thinking he's gonna do the same day. I'm thinking we absolutely cannot let that happen because you know, as a member of the gay community, I know how Mike Pence feels about us. I remember what he said about us. He is a pray the gay away kind of man. And there is nothing nothing that he can do, no, matter, no amount of books that he can write that can undo the damage he has done. So this, this is not gonna fly. We have to make sure that he does not get to, you know, Lincoln Project rehabilitate his image in this way because he he stood by Trump and against America for four years, and only once they said hang Mike Pence did he ever think, oh no, uh, maybe I need to distance myself from Trump. Okay, he's a self-serving rat of a man, and we don't need to let him back into you know civil society. There it is, Ray. There it is. And so let's let's play this next uh, clip quickly. Players from the San Francisco 49ers took a knee during the national anthem Sunday. Vice President Mike Pence staged a protest of his own. The vice president who flew from Las Vegas to Indianapolis for Sunday's game, standing with his hand on his heart. But soon after, he and his wife abruptly left the stadium. Then he tweeted this, I will not dignify any event that disrespects our soldiers, our flag, or our national anthem. But it wasn't an impromptu protest. An aide says Pence planned to leave all along if players took a knee. So this special person want to stop the players from advancing or showing, expressing their freedom of speech. He mad, he big mad at that. But he not big mad at the neo-fascist president that he served side by side. He not big mad that this president was gonna let his supporters lynch his behind if they had to got him. He not big mad about that, but he big mad about players, mainly black players at that, showing and expressing their freedom of speech, which is allowed in the United States of America. This is what this man gets big mad about. I just, you know what, I, I wanna just get out of my seat and just run around the room at this point. We're gonna go and run to the next story. We're gonna come back to this, right? We're not gonna let this go. We gotta come back to this story. The fallacy of the billionaire charity, that's where we're going to next. It's hot in here today. Remember when Jeff Bezos said this. When you go and you look at your net worth, it's too much money to even spend in a lifetime. Do you plan to give away the majority of your wealth in your lifetime? Yeah, I do. And, and, and the hard part is figuring out how to do it in a levered way. It's not easy. Um, you know, building Amazon was not easy. Um, it took a lot of hard work, a bunch of very smart teammates. And I'm finding, and I think Lauren's finding the same thing, that philanthropy is, is very similar. It's not easy. Uh, it's really hard. Oh, poor Jeff Bezos. Philanthropy is not easy. Brother, you want me to tell you what's not easy being poor? You know what's not easy? Being an Amazon worker. That's not easy because of you. So cry me a river. These people just, woo, Lord. Yeah, let's go ahead and put up this headline. CNN wrote a great piece about this. Let's not fall for it. Opinion, we should be skeptical of billionaires who pledge to share their wealth. Thank you, CNN, for laying that out. Chuck Collins, you did that. Chuck broke this down for us in detail. So here we go. The truth is, pledges like these may take years, decades, or even generations to reach their nonprofit destinations, if ever. Underline, underscore, bold that. That's why we need more public scrutiny of billionaire philanthropy 
and much clearer rules to make sure donations actually support real working charities. Chuck goes on, considering the giving pledge, an initiative founded by Warren Buffett, Melinda French Gates and Bill Gates to increase charitable giving by the extremely wealthy. As of today, more than 230 billionaires from 28 countries have taken the pledge to give away the majority of their wealth. That's the pledge that they took. Presumably, this means we would see declining billionaire fortunes. But on the 10th anniversary of the pledge in 2020, my colleagues at the Institute for Policy Studies and I found that the total net worth of the 62 living initial pledgers hadn't diminished at all. In fact, it had nearly doubled when adjusted for inflation. Ray, I don't even know what y'all want me to do with this. My God, Oh my, well, we should feel bad for them, Nina. You have no idea how hard it is to be a billionaire. It's so hard to have all that money and never have to work a real job. I will say Jeff Bezos' ex-wife has been giving her portion of the money that she got in the divorce away as fast as possible. She came to to Chicago and gave $8 million to a charity called Access Living here that is a disability rights organization that helps helps disabled people remain in their community and out of congregate care facilities, provide free legal services for them, financial literacy. And like those are programs that I think deserve funding. But ideally, the only way to get this wealth out of the hands, out of the clutches of these greedy billionaires is to tax it out of their hands. And provide these, yeah, we got to provide these programs through the through government programs, through you know, uh, through the government administrating these services to these people who are in need, who would be getting them through the nonprofits, because you can just extract their wealth through wealth tax. Let's do that, and then not have to worry at the end of the day. That's right, not have to worry and depend on them. I want you to watch this uh, this uh, on the Trump Foundation. It was a whole fraud. In a statement, the Attorney General Barbara Underwood said, quote, our petition detailed a shocking pattern of illegality involving the Trump Foundation, including unlawful coordination with the Trump presidential campaign, repeated and willful self-dealing, and much more. This amounted to the Trump Foundation functioning as little more than a checkbook to serve Mr. Trump's business and political interests. For example, take the more than quarter million dollars that went to settle personal legal disputes. Then he spent $12,000 on a signed football helmet by Tim Tebow. The largest donation in the charity's history helped pay to refurbish a fountain outside Trump's Plaza Hotel in New York. See, these folks must be watched and we need a better system as Chuck laid out in his article. And French economist and professor Thomas Piketty dealt the truth on such foundations. Watch this. Remember Warren Buffett you know, told us one day that his secretary was paying a higher effective income tax rate than he's paying. So you cannot just wait for private philanthropy to, to fix the problem. You know, I think private philanthropy is perfectly fine if it comes in addition to taxation. But Mark Zuckerberg gives 95, 99% of his shares <laughs> to, to himself. How do you mean to himself? Well, he keeps the control of the foundation. To be serious about what's public interest and what's private interest. You know, I think in, you know, in many countries, in order to call this philanthropic giving to a public uh, interest uh, charities, then you must lose any control right in the organization. Really? You know, if you are, of course. The Gates, think, look, not philanthropy, the Gates Foundation? Well, I think it's trying be, to cure polio, malaria. I, I think it would be much more convincing if he gave away power. 
You know, if you keep control rights, you know, this is the best situation you can think of as a billionaire. Yeah, the professor made that clear. Let's go back to Chuck's breakdown of all of this. This next bit of info might be the most frustrating frustrating aspect of everything that we've talked about. What's more, billionaire charity is our tax dollars at work. For every dollar a billionaire gives to charity, we the taxpayers chip in up to 74 cents of that dollar and lost federal tax revenue as donors claim deductions in their income, estate and capital gains taxes among others. That makes it even more outrageous that much of this money may never reach a real on the ground charity. Underline it, underscore it, message in the bottle. Do you see that? We the ones that's giving the money. It's really us. We the people are the charity. And then Chuck concludes on an excellent point. Take a look at this. In the end, philanthropy will never be an adequate substitute for an effective tax system. Ray, you was right there, baby, on an effective tax system where billionaires pay their fair share and democratically elected governments make decisions about investment priorities, not billionaires. Chuck, you did that. Chuck, you did that. And just for more perspective, check out this headline. We're gonna end this segment right here with this headline. 2% of Elon Musk's wealth could help solve world hunger, says director of UN Food Scarcity Organization. Boom, mic drop, there it is. We'll be right back after this. And we are back, I tried to calm myself down. I am just going to keep a fire extinguisher right next to my little booth here, because I need it at all times, these people just get me so hot. But we're going to my favorite part of the show, part two, and that is the viewer comments. TYT member Vicky says, love the intro. It was, it has an excellent, I felt when, it has the excellence that I felt when, excitement, I'm sorry, I felt when Nina Turner walked to (laughs) that small mechanics hall in Portland, Maine, where all of the progressive family came to be uplifted by you and your fight for Senator Bernard Sanders. Vicki, thank you so much for walking me down memory lane. I appreciate you, darling. And on Twitch, Zachary says, Pence looks like he ate too many lemons. Zachary, you not gonna get an argument out of me on that. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Carly says, hi, Nina, love your show. Thank you for delivering the truth. Carly, thank you. Zachary, thank you. Vicky, thank you. And thanks to all of you who support our show, who support the network. We love you. So we're gonna keep the excitement going. I have the one and only Christian Smalls with me, the leader of the Amazon Labor Union. Chris, it is so good to have you on Unbossed. You are certainly somebody who is unbossed. And I know everybody knows your work and your advocacy that you really put it on the line. But just in case some folks don't know, you were working at Amazon. You were activists there. You got fired because you were standing up for the workers there, standing up for their safety. The bosses did not like it. And I think it was JFK 8 is where you were working. Absolutely, they didn't like it and they fired you and that did not stop you. As a matter of fact, it gave you the fuel to keep on fighting. And the Amazon Labor Union was born and you are still at it. So glad to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited to catch up with you. And um, thank you for always supporting me from the very beginning. 
always, you're always gonna have my support. You are a 21st century freedom fighter and should be acknowledged as such. And speaking of acknowledgement, since the last time we saw one another in person when you were here in Cleveland a few months ago, you have won several awards. And I am so glad that people from other organizations are giving you your flowers while you are out there doing the daggone thing and not waiting. You deserve those awards for standing up and being a standard bearer in this 21st century fight. And you are carrying on very much the tradition of other unionists who came before you, even unionists who are still walking the face of this earth. But one in particular comes to mind for me that you remind me a lot of, and that is the one and only Aesop Philip Randolph of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Mr. Randolph did not play, he let them know, and you do the same thing. So right. you. Definitely are carrying on that tradition. So I, a federal judge ordered Amazon to stop firing people for organizing. Can you talk a little bit about that case? And do you think that that will stop Amazon from doing that? No, absolutely not. I mean, Amazon has already violated that, that court order. Um, and they will continue to do what Amazon does. Um, but it's a definitely a victorious monumental judgment because now, uh, not only is this going to affect just JFK 8, this is a national cease and desist. Meaning that yes, the reading has to take place at our building because we unionize, but also these same rules apply to every single building in the network in the country. And, and but you don't think that the cease and desist, like they're just gonna thumb their nose at what the judge told them. Yeah, well, I mean, if they do, the good thing about this order is it goes straight to its second circuit court. You know, this is a federal judge. This is not the NLRB that made this ruling. The NLRB enforces this ruling. So the federal judge, if they want to play with that fire, by all means, we're going to take up that fight legally as well. Um, but we know that Amazon is going to do whatever it takes to destroy unions from happening. And that means breaking the law, which they continue to do every single day. Every single day, and I'm glad that the federal judge told them to cease and desist. And you're right, if they want that smoke, that's on them. Speaking of the National Labor Board, I saw a tweet that you put out about how, or you retweeted a tweet. So that board is saying that they may have to lay some people off and have furloughs because they don't have enough money. And in your tweet, you're saying, hello, Congress, You know, people need to pay attention to this and give them what they need. Talk about some of the consequences that will occur if in fact the National Labor Relations Board does have to furlough people. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's probably, it should be the most important topic right now in the country um, for when it comes to labor. If the board loses its funding, uh, we're already struggling with cases. We have over 118 UOPs right now, unfair labor practices filed against Amazon right now that are pending. They can't keep up. With the influx of the organizing efforts across the country, um, Starbucks workers, Amazon workers, Trader Joe's, Apple, Google, everybody that's organizing right now, we're all affected. If the NLRB is not staffed or not funded, we're not getting anywhere. And Congress needs to wake up and they need to allocate some money into that budget immediately. Yeah. Definitely that, and we should all stand up and continue to push for that. So we're gonna keep talking about that on this show, Chris. And then what would you like the people of this nation to know about the work that you're doing and also Amazon workers? You have been all over the country, really all over the world, but especially working in this country. And I think a lot of people, especially consumers, I mean, we just had Black Friday, Amazon workers working frantically, 
The rules of engagement within those warehouses have not changed. The workers are not being elevated and lifted and treated with decency and dignity. And I'll tell you, Christian, I have not met one Amazon worker who's ever said they want Amazon to go out of business. They want to have better benefits, work conditions and wages. That's really all they're asking for. So what can people who consume Amazon do to be helpful to workers? Well, they definitely got to show up for them. You know, um, a lot of demonstrations are taking place across the country. Some that we're involved with heavily, some others that we're not. And uh, when they have these demonstrations, uh, the community has to show where they stand as well. You know, we are the ones that represent our communities. We're our neighbors, we're our friends, family, uh, we're our loved ones. Amazon sets up shop and reap the benefits from our backs. So customers have to understand uh, what we're doing is we're giving money to one company, one man and destroying our own community. So stand in solidarity, don't cross the picket line. Uh, the small things that matter is showing up for these workers, especially when we're outside, when we're going on uh, rallies, our strikes, etc. Whatever is being called for action, we need the community to stand with us because we are the ones that, that uh, you know, we run this, uh, we run the towns, we run the city, we run the community. We yeah. want everybody to be on the same page at all times. Definitely show support and make sure that we're out there doing what we need to do to be in solidarity with what Christian is doing and all of the workers across this country who are working for better benefits or who are organizing for better benefits, better wages and better work conditions. We truly are all in this. Christian, I wanna thank you so much and all of the members, all of the allies, everybody that is out there trying to push. Because when you push and every victory that you and the team has is a victory for workers all across this country. It's not just the Amazon workers, your victory is a victory for workers, whether they're unionized or not unionized. And that's why everybody should care about what is happening to workers. Love you so very much. I look forward to catching up with you. I appreciate you in every single way. The courage that it took for you to do what you have done and what you continue to do is all inspiring. Christian Smalls is an inspiration. Please make sure you support the Amazon Labor Union. And that is it for our show today. We are sending so much love to each and every one of you. Remember, remember this. I definitely want you to keep the faith. I, I do. I want you to believe in, in the things not seen, that it is the evidence of things that could and should be. But more importantly, I want you to keep the fight because see faith and fight, they go together. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.